But um, we're in this kind of quasi stage. Half of our stuff is actually uh, already halfway to uh, Sunningdale, and we've got a whole bunch of new signage that's already in storage in Elkanah. And uh, yesterday we had such a special, special uh, morning. It really was fantastic. To those of you that were there, thank you for joining us. It was a day where we just captured something of our vision. What are we doing? Where are we going? What does it mean to be uh, part of Common Ground Church Bloberg moving forward? And uh, how, what, what do we feel like God may be doing with us? And uh, if you weren't there, there is so much time to catch up, and we're going to spend a lot of time uh, filling in the gaps and casting vision. But we spoke a little bit just about um, what, what are the kind of people that we're moving towards becoming and uh, we spoke about the fact that we want to be the kind of people who know what it's like to live with God, with His presence. Uh, we're speaking about that, and we'll keep talking. This is not some strange sort of uh, bizarre charismatic teaching. This is about becoming a group of people who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by the miracle of God, He comes to not just give us a message that's a theory that is good advice for the world, it is actually good news for our lives, that in his kindness, God chooses to walk with us, to actually be close to us, to be the kind of God that we don't need a person to worship. We have God with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And it doesn't just happen on Sundays. It happens all the time to follow Jesus, is to know that you have someone who walks with you that you can walk with, learn from, become like. So we, we want to understand the presence of God. We also want to understand the formation of God, that actually the, the job's not done. God is changing us. That actually, it's not about so much just uh, getting us to heaven and getting a whole bunch of people who live in our area to, to know that one day they're going to heaven, but actually that heaven would start coming to us and that we would start reflecting what heaven will be like. It's, it's a scary thought that some Christians might not enjoy heaven because our characters and our lives and our worship haven't been conformed to what it's like in heaven. And actually, part of the journey of being a follower of Jesus is preparing ourselves for more of God's presence. Our hearts and our characters and who we are become more like Jesus so that actually, it's not a surprise when we get to heaven. We go, yeah, no, I've been waiting for this. The dress rehearsal was fantastic. God challenged me along the way. He changed and conformed my character to become more humble, more generous, more gracious, more kind, more loving, more forgiving, more able to, to do things that I never thought I'd do because he's with me and he's changing me and he's doing the stuff I never thought was possible. We're becoming that. And it's very cool to know that you don't need a special fancy venue to do that. God's been doing that for the last five years in a fairly ordinary space. And he's going to keep doing that. And we're keeping the same priorities as we move into a new space. And let me tell you, it's better than I first thought. It's really sweet. It's a cool place to be. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun being there. And it's really cool to preach there, by the way, because the sound is so cool. It feels like I'm speaking face-to-face -face with everyone from the back row to the front row. And the acoustics are fantastic. Hey, Tashis? It feels like when you sing, he says, also quite vulnerable because you make mistakes and it's a lot less gracious because everyone hears it in 3D. It is really, uh, it's more vulnerable. And that's, the that's kind of what it's like, right? But it is a sweet place. And, and most importantly, the space is great for community. It, it's an amazing space to be together because it has this flow. It has this warmth. It, it makes you want to linger. And we want to be a community. Uh, that's our third word, is a community. We want to build relationships that go beyond confrontation, that go beyond letdown. That's what a real friendship is about. That's what real community is. You must anticipate the moment where someone in this community lets you down. And then 
you work out whether you're ready to be family. You work out whether you're ready to go, hey, you hurt me, but I love you still, and I want to work this thing through with you. Then we're starting to build a community that people from the outside will look in at and go, these guys know what love is all about. These guys know what it really means. And, uh, and that's part of what it means to be a Christian. It's not about being cushy and clean and never, you know, squeaky clean, never making any mistakes, and we all just nod and smile and go home and grumble about what we don't like. We live in community. We love each other, and we're learning to do that better and better. I'm so proud of who we've become. I'm honestly so excited to take who we are into a new space and try export it further into our city, deeper into the hearts of our people uh, that are our friends and family. And then the last one we spoke about was mission. We love people because God loves people. And our future is filled with becoming the kind of people who are on mission because God loves people more than we even love people. We're just trying to do what he's doing. We're not trying to get God to do what we love. We're actually, the best blessed life is to find out what God is up to and then just start doing that because he's already there. That's why we're on mission, because he's already there. He's already loving the last and the least and the lost because he cares so much for them. If you go do that, you'll find Jesus all the time. Keep serving yourself and, and trying to make yourself feel comfortable with your life and, and live for you and you alone and your little clan. Your life just shrinks in on itself. It becomes so dull and boring and depressing. God's called us to a big vision, and we're going to do that as we move forward. We don't need a big venue, by the way. We just need big-hearted people. We need a group of people who say, cool, count me in. I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to get stuck in. And so that was why yesterday was so fantastic and why we want to keep encouraging you, keep enlisting yourself into opportunities to join on the, in on this mission because it is riveting won't regret it. Just take some baby steps. Keep building friendships. Keep getting to know people. If you're here for the first time and you're saying, this sounds pretty cool. I'd like to get in. The best place to start is just keep coming back. Keep pitching up. Join a life group. Get to know people. People is what carries us and community is what gets us further and further into the journey of going, wow, he really is who he says he is. He really is what he promised he would. He really does what he promises he'll do. So welcome to the journey, welcome to the exciting new adventure, and I suppose welcome to the end of a season. We are kind of saying goodbye to this space, and uh, I'll pepper some of my talk today with that. We've been in a journey for the last two weeks. This is our final, day, uh, final week of uh, a series called Practice Makes People. And Practice Makes People is a really thought-out series title because what we're looking at here is we're looking at the concept that to become more and more like the person God designed you to become takes practice. You see, God wants you to be more you-ier than you are right now. You're not the most you-iest you that you can be right now. You can become more you-ier. Did you know that? And the Bible actually teaches that when we sin and rebel against God, we get less assier than we should be. We become less human. Uh, N.T. Wright teaches this beautifully. He says, sin dehumanizes us. It distorts our image. We are created in the image of God. You're meant to be like a grand mirror that when the world or people look at you, your character and who you are reflects the nature and the love and the life of God such that people look and go, wow, this, this is, God is there. I can see the creativity and the love and the mercy, and, and, and you are just, you're reflecting God's love. That's amazing. The problem is, is that sin, things like unforgiveness and, and, and uh, whatever, uh, covetousness and so much of the other issues in our lives, they steal from our assiness. 
They take away from our image-bearing capacity, and they make us turn in on ourselves and make us smaller and more uh, inward and introspective, and that causes us to be less human. God calls us on a journey. He starts the magnificent journey, firstly, by saying, you can't start this journey unless I come and I introduce you to the only way. It's through Jesus Christ. You, you can't become more you than you were meant to be unless you first come to the one who redeems you and gives you the introduction to the journey. That's the start. The start is simply this. You don't have a chance of redemption until you first come to Jesus. He's the one who came and lived the life that no human being could ever live and died the death on every human being's behalf that we should have all died so that we could live the lives that we don't deserve to live, but we get it anyway, to live for God and to follow him and become more asia than we first thought we could. That's the wonder of the gospel. Follow him. He introduces you to that. He says, come to me. Start following me. And then... The journey begins. The magic starts to happen. And day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, we become more like the person God would have us become. And it is just a marathon upon a marathon. It takes time. You know what's cool about it is that there are some really beautiful Kairos moments. I don't want to sound really dull and boring. you like marathon running is the worst thing ever. There are some amazing, wondrous moments in marathons where God just showers his grace. I know in the Comrades Marathon, uh, uh, there used to be these water stops. I don't know if they still exist. Uh, they would be sponsored by like Coca-Cola or something and be running after 65 Ks. And they'd have this like big tunnel of misty water that would just like come down on you. And uh, these people would run through it. And I think it was just like total oasis in the desert of running dryness. And uh, they would run through these things and just get cooled off. And uh, there are moments in your, in your marathon walk with Jesus where he just pours out special grace. He, he gives us a special sense of power and joy and infilling of his spirit. And you just look back and you go, yeah, that happened a few months ago. Or, that happened yesterday. Or, I'll never forget when I first came to faith and God poured out his spirit. And it's like, it's what ruined me to keep following Jesus forever. And, and you just look and he peppers our seasons with these wonderful sort of just special pouring moments on our lives. But every day isn't like that. Most days is about waking up and, and, and looking at Jesus and saying, I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm, I'm starting the marathon journey. I'm learning what it means to become more me than I was yesterday because I'm learning to follow you. Question I want to ask you today, are you a disciple or are you a deist? A deist, I'll explain now, but it's a common term. Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 4 and he says, come. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He makes this invitation to us, and he says, here's what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. It's to be a follower of Jesus. You walk with him, you talk with him, you live with him, you learn from him, and you try to become like him in the life and the body that he's given you. You can't live in uh, Israel. You can't uh, die on a cross. You can't have 12 disciples and go fishing, but you can uh, live and embody his nature, his personality, his character, and do what he calls us to do. Here's what a deist is, or a deist as some people call it. A deist is someone who believes that there is a God, and that God uh, is kind of indifferent. He, he switched on the world, maybe like a person wound up the clock, wound up the world, switched it on, and he took a step back and he said, all the best with that. 
And from time to time, he sort of engages with his creation, but it's really from an indifferent perspective, and uh, human beings really just make a kind of arrangement with that God. You you basically try to keep your nose clean. Don't do anything too bad, because he seems to have some mild interest in humanity, but by and large, he, he let us do what we need, but don't be too bad, and you know, don't show off too much, and you should be okay. That's kind of deism. It's a view that God is just mildly, but not really interested in the world. Jesus pushes back and he says, don't be that. We live in a world that's filled with deists, people who just go, God is somewhere out there, and he's semi-interested, and if I do some good stuff and keep morally okay, all good. Jesus says things like this, like I read 419 in Matthew, come follow me, come close to me, stick with me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, or John 15 verse 15, I no longer call you servants. Deists would go, maybe I'm a servant. I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. <laughs> Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. How cool. He looks at us and he says, you need to know what God is like. You need to know how to follow me. Stick close to me. I've let you know everything you need to know. I'm going to coach you. This is a journey. It's exciting. Get on with me and I'm going to coach you. He also rejects He doesn't just reject distance. He says, come follow me, get close. He also rejects indifference. You can't be indifferent. Deists are indifferent. If you you believe there's a God who switched on, well, once in a while I'll think about the one who switched it on and then I'll keep doing my life because I've got lots of stuff and business and career and kids and and life's busy. But but, but a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, cannot be indifferent. Jesus rejects that and he says, I expect worship, I expect awe. He says in uh, John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. They're going to be willing to do a whole bunch for my glory. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to my Father who sent me. Jesus, he rejects distance, and he rejects indifference. He says that's for deism. And, and I'm hoping today that as we leave this space and we move into a new venue, I hope that we also leave behind our deistic tendencies, our kind of transactional arrangements that we make with God. We move into a relationship. I want to speak today about two ships that we're getting on as we move into Tableview. Two ships. We're getting on the ship of relationship and we're getting onto the ship of worship. Relationship and worship. Those two ships are coming with us, and they are going to dock close by in our community. We are going to feed off. We're going to live on the ships of relationship and worship. And they're practices that Jesus calls us to, by the way. Firstly, let's look at relationship. Relationship. Here Jesus is saying, to follow me is not to have an arrangement. You know how it is. I think all of us have been either in a relationship that's got some arrangement or have witnessed one. I witnessed one recently. I was chatting to a buddy, and I respect him so much. And his parents are, are, are not quite getting a divorce. They just have an arrangement. So they live in different provinces, and uh, they've worked out how to just make things work because it's actually quite inconvenient to get divorced So uh, uh, you know, from financial and legal perspective. So you, know, you make an arrangement. You work out a way to make things kind of work, but you don't have a relationship. You've got nothing that fundamentally makes up a relationship. Some of you 
have it at work, hey? Anybody got that at work where there's a colleague or you've witnessed it, where there's two colleagues who just don't get each other, don't like each other, don't want to talk to each other, and uh, you've, they've got an arrangement. They, they, they know that if he's at the, the water cooler, then you just don't go there until they've left. Or, or if they're chatting to those people, they'll just wait until they leave and then they'll go in. There's an arrangement because we can't ruin the work vibe because we get our career and our salary from this thing. So we've got to find some arrangement that makes this thing workable, but it ain't relationship. It is not relationship. It's called an arrangement. Sometimes we might have arrangements with God. We've got this world we've got to live in. And, and you seem to be stronger than me. And, uh, and I, I seem to worry about a few things. And if I just do this, maybe you can do this for me. If I just keep pitching up at church, or if I just keep trying to read my Bible, then I'm, I'm hoping you'll just, you know, all good? Thumbs up? Are we okay, God? You know? And we make arrangements with God. We, we bargain. We, we create transactions, which just so undermine the wonder and the kindness of God in Jesus Christ, where he says, you can come to me with all your mess-ups, and I'll have all of your problems, and you can trust me with every part of it. Don't make an arrangement. You undermine my love. You make me look like a less kind God than I actually am. Don't do arrangements. You misunderstand God completely. Do relationship. There's three parts to a healthy relationship. Commitment, communication, and care. Commitment, communication, and care. Any healthy relationship. I'm not doing relationship advice today, but if you want to have a healthy one, maybe you want to just monitor how you're doing in those three things. Because sometimes we just have one or the other. I know a lot of dudes, it's our tendency. Hey, I haven't left you. I'm still with you. I'm committed. But your communication and your care may be absolutely up the pole. Especially communication, dudes. Let's think about it. We're probably pretty bad at that, right? We're the classic stonewallers. We're not great at sharing, talking. Actually, if you want to have a healthy relationship with anyone, you're going to need total commitment, radical communication, and genuine care. What that? That's where you're going to get it. And at the middle of that is where healthy relationships happen. You can't have just one. You can't even just have two. You're going to need to have both, uh, all three, and, and to work on all of them. I want to just talk. I, I unfortunately can't cover all of them, but one thing I will say is that uh, when it comes to our relationship with God, commitment is, is unfaltering. You want to know how committed Jesus is to us? Well, just go look at the cross. Go look at the life he lived. Go look at the sacrificial servant-hearted Jesus that exists in the scriptures, and then you'll never question his commitment to you. You might have some questions about our own commitment to him, but the wonder is what Tim read to us, that neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, nothing in the present, the past, the future, nothing could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He's committed to us even when our commitment falters. Wow. Oof. I wake up and I know that he still loves me even though I didn't love him as well as I could have. Oh. That's awesome. And communication. Jesus is the living word. You want to know what God is like? He has revealed all of God to us in Jesus Christ. Communication is flawless. He hasn't made any mistakes. He loves to communicate. But I, I, I want to talk a bit more about that one. Because I think one of the most important ways for us to practice the ways of Jesus, to follow Jesus well, is to learn to communicate with him. And that's through prayer. And I, I just want to encourage us. Prayer is this weird thing. It's almost like the elephant in the room as a Christian. It becomes almost, over, we, we overplay it and then we never do it. You, you talk about it and it becomes so big that we never engage with it. And it's such a simple and wonderful gift that God has given us. Something that the Apostle Paul said we should expect to do all the time. 
He says, pray always. Never stop praying. Learn to pray as much as you possibly can. How could human beings possibly pray all the time? We've got meetings to go to, man. We've got people to look after. We've got stuff to happen. How can you be praying all the time? No. Let's find out. Let's ask Jesus because he's a, our disciple. He's the one who's teaching us. Let's follow him. I, that's a question I'm asking Jesus. How do I pray all the time? There's two types of prayer generally. Planned prayer, spontaneous prayer. Planned and spontaneous prayer. It seems like Jesus teaches both. Remember, you think of uh, Matthew chapter 5, and he talks about this is how you should pray, and he teaches the Lord's Prayer, our Father, right in heaven. And he goes through and he teaches us some planned ways to pray. I suggest we all try to get some rhythms in our lives. You'll, you'll, You'll notice, honestly, the days you wake up and you have five to ten minutes of prayer with Jesus, the day is different. I don't know why. I do. It's because you prayed. It's because you got perspective. It's because you had relationship with God that started on the right note. I've heard of a few guys I've been reading on prayer who simply wake up most mornings and they just say, morning, God. Morning, Lord. It's such a great way to start because you, you start your day going, I am here first and foremost not to even say good morning to my spouse or my friend or whatever it is. The first person I see, the first person I say hello to is, morning, Lord. My communication starts. Maybe we need to actually put some stickers on different parts of our, our home and our car and wherever we go and our desks to say, just go, morning, Lord. As my daughter Josie often says, at the end of her prayer, she says, good night, Lord. Finishes her prayer, night, Lord. See you tomorrow. And uh, I kind of chuckle every time, but I love it because she closes her day with this, like, she doesn't really get it, but she gets it. This planned prayer. Try, try put it in. Read your Bible. Finish your Bible reading time. Something sparked, hopefully, something meaningful came out of your Bible reading time. And then all you need to do is you say, God, I learned something today. And in prayer, we need to try our best to turn it into organic, relational communication. Don't get fancy. I hope I model a non-fancy way of praying. But if I don't, tell me. And we'll start praying in a normal, ordinary way that says, God, you're God, and I'm not. And you love me, and I don't always love you as well as I should. But I'd like to learn how to pray and communicate better. Maybe that's the best place to start. God, I'm struggling with prayer, but I'd love you to help me. I've read my Bible, and I think I learned today... um, that uh, you, you multiplied some loaves and fishes, and I'm a little confused by that, but it seems like you do miracles and you love and you provide. Cool, my prayer life started, and I think maybe I need some helpful miracles and some breakthroughs. I'm closing my eyes, Lord, because I'm just so distracted by the stuff around me. So, Lord, would you help me today? Would you make sense of that scripture? I think today I need provision. I'm just, I need provision of grace and peace, and I don't know if that's what you provided on the hill for those guys who needed loaves and fishes, but maybe that's what it symbolizes for me today. So I think that's all I got to say today, Lord, but as I go through the day, help me to pray better and help me to grow in my prayer life so that we can get a bit more honest. I'm also anxious about that meeting, actually. I just remembered while I'm praying, I'm quite nervous about that meeting in the afternoon. You help me with that God and uh, that boss who always undermines me in public. Help me with that. Help me have courage and wisdom to be able to wisely answer, and if I feel rubbish about myself, to just finish that meeting knowing that you love me more than even the opinions of those people. Anything else, Lord? I don't know. We can chat more later. Love you lots. Bye. Get into your day. I I don't know what it looks like. The point is you're you're trying to pray. You're trying to live your life before God in a way that says, I plan to be with him, and I know he's listening, and I want to work on a relationship. It's so unfancy. 
It's not fancy. It's relationship. It's not deism that says we've got a transactional thing. I opened my Bible. I stared at it for three, for three minutes. Then I closed my eyes, and I did that for a few. It's a friendship with God. He doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. And then through the day, it's about gratitude. I always love that acronym, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication. I prefer the words adoration is wow. You walk around sometimes, you just go, I'm like moving to, I'm driving somewhere, I see the mountain, wow. Gee, God, wow, that's amazing. Look at these people, wow. And then, and then the C is confessions. You go, wow, sorry, oof. I wasn't kind. I left, the, I left the house in such a bad way. I didn't even say goodbye to the one child, and I was grumpy. Sorry, God, teach me to be less grumpy. Then Thanksgiving is thanks. So you're going like, wow, sorry, thanks. Sure, there's so much going on. And then supplication is please. You just say please. There's so much going on. I need, to, need your help with please. And if you just go through that all the time, wow, sorry, Thanks, please. Wow, sorry, thanks, please. And sometimes it's just not like super fancy sentences. It's just like you're walking to the cooler and you just, oh, thank you, Lord. You're with me. So many people who don't know that you're with them. Oh, you're with me. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, God. You're walking to the next operation. You're walking to the next challenge. Thanks, God. Thank you. Prayer is about just this persistent, growing understanding. God is with us. It's such a wondrous thing. Oh. I want to get better at this. I want you to do that. And we probably need to keep praying and saying, God, help us. What about we take a moment now? Close your eyes. I'll pray a prayer over us, but I'm also going to give us a moment just to say, God, help me pray better. Help me pray better. Under your breath, don't need to say it out loud. Just ask God. Lord, teach us to turn our self-talk into patience. How much of our self-talk is just bouncing around in the different corners of our head? Actually, you would love us to expose that to you. Turn it into trust. Our self-talk creates anxiety. Our, our communication with you provides peace. Teach us to turn self-talk into trust and communication and a life lived before you. God, this stuff isn't complicated. It just requires a little bit of faith and a little bit of trust. Help us, Lord. We, we, we're not where we want to be, but we're certainly not where we, uh, where we were. We want to get better. So coach us. Teach us, we pray. Amen. To take friendship. Getting on that ship. We're making sure that ship goes with us to Elkana. There's lots we're taking, but this one is crucial. Relationship with God, you were designed for it. It makes you more yuier than you are right now. The more you know him and enjoy him, the more yuier you will become. Secondly, we're going to get the ship of worship with us. Worship is what makes us also more yuier. And uh, deism says, you don't need to worship him. You just need to acknowledge him from time to time. He's out there. He switched it on. Keep him happy from time to time. Do the right thing here and there, and uh, you know he should. The big man upstairs should be okay. Jesus pushes back and he says, "No, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. You were made for awe, not for indifference. You were made for worship. You meant to look up and go, wow." Takes time. Worship is one of the slowest muscles to grow. It really does take time. 
Worship is about not diversifying our investments. It's about putting all our eggs in one basket. How many of us know that you, know, you, you diversify? You put a whole bunch of different things, and you've always got plan B, C, D, E, F. And, and worship is to say, I actually don't have a plan B. It's like Peter, who, who looked at Jesus. All the, uh, the other followers were leaving, and there's these 12 disciples who are still stuck with them. And he, Jesus looks at them. He says, you guys want to go? Just like they're all leaving. They didn't get their food this time. I didn't perform the miracle they wanted. Also want to go? Peter looks at him sheepishly. He goes, where else can we go? You, you've got the words of eternal life. This amazing sense of to worship is to go, we've, we're ruined by you. You're better than anything we've ever seen. You are who you say you are. You don't always act the way we want you to act, but you are God, and we will submit in love to you because you have the words of eternal life. Quite annoying, right? Because sometimes you want God to do what you want him to do, and he says, no, I'm God. I do what I do on my terms, and it's always good for you. But it sometimes takes longer than you think to understand why it's good for you. <sighs> Annoying, but awesome. Because you're in the hands of the one who loves you better than you love yourself. To worship is to trust him. It's to do three things best, um, but I, I, I'll share that just now. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's to give your whole self as a sacrifice before God and say, all of this is yours, God. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm going to stop there. This is your true and proper worship. To worship is to say, hey, God, I give it all to you. David Foster Wallace, you may have heard of him if you're into uh, reading a lot. He was a famous uh, sort of thinker and writer. But what is most amazing about him was that he was an atheist, didn't believe in God. But listen to what he says about worship. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you is a non-believing person who understands the human heart and he says, we're all made for worship. You can't stop it. It's a case of what you worship. What are you giving yourself to? What exactly are you worshiping? Three forms of worship that you pick up all throughout the scriptures. There's singing, there's savoring, and there's sacrificing. Singing, savoring, sacrificing. I'll leave singing for last, but here's a few thoughts. If you only sing, you become a bit irrelevant become like those holy huddles, people who just sing, but they, they've got no contact to the world. If you only savor, you will become irreverent. If you only savor the stuff around you, and this is such a crucial part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's pushing back on this weird notion that God doesn't want us to be happy. Actually, to worship God is to savor the world he's created for us. It's to savor the smile of a child. It's to savor the, the sweetness of falling in love. It's to savor the wonder of community and care. It's to savor the deliciousness of a well-cooked steak just the way you like it. And to look at it and to go, this isn't just for me. This is for me to look at, to enjoy, and to say, thank you. You designed these things. You made them. 
to savor, is to ride on a four-foot wave and to see it just raffling along and you've got this point break and it's glassy and it's clean and there's three of your buddies out and you're just enjoying glassy, clean surf and you're going, this is what God made. It's to go down a single track on a mountain bike and to feel the pleasure of God as you're flying down these berms and feeling the wind between your ears and you're going, wow. All of life being pulled into one space and to all these different things and saying, God made it all. On his terms, I get to enjoy it and to enjoy it well. You have a sweet glass of wine just the way you like it, and just the right time and just the right amount, and to say this is God's creation. Man, savoring is crucial. It's part of what it means to worship. Otherwise, you forget God made it all, and you start living like it's all for me. You forget. Savoring is actually a real discipline. It's a real discipline. It takes a lot of energy and effort. Why, you know, there's lovely things of liturgy that we learn from our ancient fathers that we, we sort of forget. Things like saying grace, by the way. Grace is a real thing. Thank God for your food. It's a way of going, this stuff is beautiful and it's worth celebrating. So there's savoring. There's also sacrifice. Sacrifice is a real part of worship. So much of the scriptures talk about sacrifice as an opportunity to worship God. It's a way of saying, actually, at the end of the day, this is not primarily about me. It's about you, God. And I am not the final uh, outcome. I'm not the one who's meant to get the final result of joy. It's your glory, not mine. And it may cost me sometimes. It may cost me. It may cost me my life. It's cost millions of people their lives following Jesus. Even today, martyrdom is higher than it's ever been. It's not really my main point, though. Martyrdom isn't our biggest threat at the moment. Probably comfort. Probably comfort. It's comfort that says, you know what? Oh, life groups are tricky, you know? Bedtime, school, my life, my commitments to other clubs and stuff like that. Oh, and to, to possibly lead one. Like, oh, man. And to make more space in my life for new people that might need help to follow Jesus or to include them or to help them learn to read their Bible or make sense of their complex relationships or their marriage or their workspace and how to include Jesus in all of that. That's just like, oh, that's sacrifice. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You're going to give up stuff. You've got to give up certain comforts because following me is about worship and worship incurs some sacrifice. Hey, I'm aware of this. Honestly, we've got a, a sign on the R27 that says, come to Common Ground Table View, 26th of, uh, of January. Come join us. Anybody seen it? Wow, only one of you. Come on. Anybody else seen it? Okay, six of you. You're driving on the wrong roads. <laughs> we should have done it on Sandown by the sound of things. You know what's most vulnerable about that is whether our hearts are ready to hold the new people that say yes. So we invite them. Do we arrive at church and our, we're not willing to sacrifice? We don't create a horseshoe in our, our group of friends. We create a closed circle and we all stand there and we chat with each other. We go, how cool is this new space and the acoustics? And now you've come, and you, and I love you. And we've got all our old buddies and we don't look at the whole bunch of people who've just arrived going, I'm interested. What are you guys about? Who are you? We've got space to sacrifice in our hearts, a little bit of our own comforts to say, Come in. Who are you? How can I include you? I'm speaking to all of us. If you knew 
Uh, I, I hope you get a, a sense of our inclusion and our love, but, but it takes sacrifice because we all get comfortable, and before we know it, we're comfortable. We, a year ago, you arrived in this church, and it was like, oh, how do I get to know anyone? Now you're in the middle, and now you've got to go, who's that other person that I need to sacrifice? Hey, sacrifice is financial. I, I, we, we've got to keep trusting God that he's calling us to be a generous people. Hey, as we start, and Tash has so beautifully reminded us, you start the year, you're looking at your EFTs, you're looking at your debit orders, you're going, what does it mean to be sacrificial towards the cause of Christ, towards the, the plans and purposes God has for your family, towards all sorts of stuff? Or am I going to, you know, give the last fruits? It, it's all about sacrifice. So there's sacrifice, there's savoring, and then there's singing. Singing is, is actually quite key, by the way. So much of the scriptures say, sing together. Sing together. Learn to sing. And, and singing is really just God's gift to teach us how to do a few things. And uh, it helps us remember God's word. It really does. How often you're humming a tune, you go, oh, I'm actually reciting scripture here. And that's the point of singing. It helps you to actually just remember God's word. It helps you respond to God's grace. Singing is actually a way of saying, I respond to you. It's a crazy. Do you know who sings the most amazingly? Liverpool soccer fans. Anyone ever heard that? You'll never walk alone. Go on YouTube and listen to that happen. And tell me that God didn't design humans, not Christians, humans to sing anthems that stir the heart. It'll, you'll never convince me. The next place you go to a U2 concert or go to anywhere else and you see that people love to sing and they love to put their hands up when they're seeing something awesome. So don't tell me that singing isn't for Christians and it's like it's just a few that like to do it. We're made to sing. And, and, and we sing because of a response to God and because it reflects God's glory. Such a wonderful picture of the future. Much of eternity and the pictures of eternity are about us worshiping God. It's not a permanent worship service. Don't worry. It's going to be much cooler stuff to do in heaven than just worship and, and sing. But part of it will be awe-filled wonder as masses upon masses of human beings look at the glory of God and say, Wow, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. All glory be to Him. We're going to join the angels as we sing. We've got to be the kind of people who grow in our singing. We're going to a space that is going to call it more from us. It's a beautiful acoustic space. Let's steward it well with song that brings glory to God. We sing because we respond to Him. So much I've said. I hope you can remember a few things. And I hope that some of it ingests in your heart into basically the fact that we're going to take some ships with us. We're embarking on these ships. We're going in the place of relationship with God and worship towards Him. We land with a little story band. Maybe you guys can join us. And uh, April 2003, told you that parts of the story, put my faith in Jesus, came to faith in Him. I, I'd known because I grew up in a Christian home, I knew all the stuff to say at all the right times. Uh, I was basically a functional deist. You know what that is? I've just told you. I did the right things at the right time. Pitched up at church, Easter, Christmas, and uh, would even throw up the odd prayer just when things were really feeling out of hand. And uh, no real relationship, just a good, good arrangement. And uh, April 2003, hung over from more than alcohol and uh, had a really rough weekend. My mom phones me, says, Happy Easter. So I put the phone down after a good chat with her. And I just knew what to do. I just prayed a simple prayer. It was very clumsy. I said, Jesus, I trust you. Uh, all the stuff I've been doing just... 
isn't right. It's not the way I was designed. I want to follow you. I want to receive your forgiveness, whatever that means. I know I need it right now. It's a little place called Hunclip, close to Pringle Bay, those of you who know that area. Get out of my tent, pack the tent up, get in the car. We drive along that coast road past Cool Bay. Majestic, just one of the nicest drives in the, in the Western Cape. Driving along this road, and I'm looking out the window, and I've got three guys who are just as hungover as me, except they're not experiencing half of what I am. In my heart, I've left something behind. Left behind a life. I've just put it down. I've put it down, and I've said, this was for there, and that is no longer. Addictions were done. It was like, I knew that day. I, I put it down. I said, God, I will never touch another drug. I knew it was the case. Relationship is up. I, I could just feel I, there was something of God saying, I'm with you, and, and we'll, we'll work this thing out. Not fancy, just we'll work this thing out. We'll work out what it means to walk with Jesus. Staring out, and everybody else thinks I've taken everything. My whole life is still the same. I'm sitting in the car with a bunch of druggies, and we're all just thinking it's normal. We're all hungover, all quiet. But I know I've left something behind, and I know I'm taking something with me. I feel I've got relationship. I can feel awe. I look over the, the ocean, and I see somehow... I see God's world. I don't see my world trying to fit into and, and make God fit into my world. I just see a, a new way of living. Think in Hunclip somewhere. There's a dead functional deist who just made an arrangement with God. And I hope today, and I'm going to call us to action, that we would leave in this hall any functional deism that is just an arrangement. Make things work. Let's just, just so that's fun. We get into relationship. We get into worship. We, we try our best with all the clumsiness of life to just say, come help me. Wow. Thanks. Please. Sorry. Let's do it over and over and over until we're more assier than we were. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for the sake of your own Communication with Jesus. We've all got to leave stuff behind you. It's not because this space is bad. It's just because it's a nice symbol of change, a seasonal change. Some of us, we've just got to leave that arrangement with God behind. I call you to bit of action today. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to ask some of us in a moment just to raise our hands in response to a few different things. For some, I'm going to ask you to just pop up your hand if you're, if you're saying goodbye to functional deism. I'm going to ask us to all keep our eyes closed and just to that thing of, um, I've got an arrangement with God. For others of us, it's about starting a relationship for the first time. about saying yes to worship and followership and working out what it all looks like. I ask you, just those of us who are just, you're following Jesus for a while, but you, there's a bit of deism in you, just a bit of an arrangement going on. With everyone's eye closed, why don't you pop up your hand if you're saying, I'm leaving stuff behind you. It's just a symbol of faith, beautiful. Lots of hands, Wonderful. Keep, put them down. Any other people, just you're leaving stuff behind you. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. 
leaving stuff behind you. If you do business with Jesus, tell him what you're leaving behind. A few others, pop up, hand, eyes are still closed. Anyone else, you're leaving stuff behind. You need to just pop up your hand because it's your statement of faith. It's lovely. Draw a line in the sand today, Jesus. I pray by your spirit that you would pour out a deep awareness in our hearts that this is the case. Stuff is left behind. There's a, there's a line in the sand this far and no further. It lives here. It stays here. The old self that's made an arrangement is no longer the one we're taking with us. We want relationship. We want worship. Eyes closed still. Anyone here who just need to start your relationship with Jesus. You're making a full U-turn. You're saying, I've just got to start this thing again. Maybe it's first. Maybe it's a long-time return. You're just saying, yes, I've got to start relationship with God. You pop up your hand now. I'd love to pray with you. Everyone's eyes are closed. Lovely. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Beautiful. Why don't you just pray with me and say yes to Jesus in your own words. Say yes. Say I'm following you. Don't have it all right. A lot that I need help with. But you got it all right for me. So that I could start this journey. Can't wait to find out what you've got for me as I learn to follow you. I submit to you. You're the king, I'm not. You're the leader, I'm not. But I know that you love me more than anyone else. Because of that, I choose to follow you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your love and thank you for your leadership. I choose to follow you today.